0: Um, yeah, so quick intro. Uh, first, we're so fucking glad to have you. I mean, at least like uh, for an hour. Um, I, we usually do this every Friday uh, 9 a.m. Uh, PST, but right now I think that the Europe time and the US time is a bit uh, twisted. Um, so we're hosting at that time. We usually talk about the news, but for, for a couple of episodes, we've been starting to just get either creator economy CEOs or creators themselves uh, uh, for an hour and just chat about Uh, uh, all things creator economy. And so um, you're the first creator that we host and that could not not be like uh, uh, any better. Um, Just as a a quick intro essentially, um, right now, as everybody has seen, there is a lot of tools popping up with the emergence of the creator economy. I mean, this is great. A lot of startup founders are building weapons for creators to actually scale themselves even more. But at the end of the day, it's also like a lot of tools and it's a bit overwhelming for creators sometimes. And the only way I believe uh, to be able to balance um, the complexity that has increased is actually by educating creator even more and, and you know, what, what better than just creators to educate other creators. That's, qu- that's quite obvious. And, um, that right now, one of the best YouTube channel that is run by creators for other creators is actually you guys, Colin and Samir. And so, I don't think you probably need uh, much of an intro because from all the messages that I've been receiving saying, wow, that's dope, you could never get any better. Um, I think a lot of people actually know and and, uh, uh, watch your videos. But if you could just like give a quick intro about uh, who you guys are and how you actually came to Educate Creators, uh, uh, that would be amazing. And then we would start.
1: Sure, yeah. So uh, Colin and I have been on YouTube for 10 years now. Um, about 10 years ago, I, I had graduated college and wanted to create a space for um, the community that I was a part of and the community that I, I loved, which was a community of lacrosse players. And lacrosse was an incredibly niche sport. It was uh, you know something that not a lot of people did, especially out here in California. Um, but I was very passionate about it. I knew there was other people who were passionate about it as well. So took to YouTube to start uploading content about lacrosse and had this idea for something called the lacrosse network so something like a television network but wanted to do it online because there was no way anyone was going to give us you know the time of day to have a a television network Um, within two weeks uh, i met colin uh, because he was also uploading video content to vimeo about lacrosse and we decided to just bring his content over to our channel and over the next couple of years, we grew this very passionate audience about the sport of lacrosse. Um, And a lot of it was us creating content for our younger selves, creating content that we wish existed when we were, you know, younger. And what ended up happening was, uh, 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 you know, over the next couple of years, the audience grew significantly, but monetization was really challenging. There was no one who believed that us creating this niche community on YouTube was a viable business, no one. We talked to investors, we talked to brands, we talked to uh, other people in the media industry and everyone said, this is not a great idea. And um, what kept us going was the audience. And after a couple of years um, of just trying to figure it out, you know, monetizing through doing creative services, doing odd jobs just to keep the, keep the lights on, we ended up selling the company to a group out in New York um, that wanted to do something similar, bring sports to the digital space. And so from there, we started working with bigger creators, you know, we had commercial success with what we were doing and we got jobs, you know, getting to educate athletes and and sports leagues about the value of YouTube and even brands, bringing brands over to the platform and and really allowing and and educating an industry about why YouTube and and social media was um, not only just a viable option, but actually the future. And so if you fast forward to now and you, you look at just the extension of what we're doing, when we left that company, we were just very passionate about the creator space. And we started talking about it internally more. It was the conversations we were having. We, couldn't, we didn't figure out exactly what we wanted to make. But what we've landed on today after years and years of, of trying to craft what content we want to make, it's almost the same thing as what we started. We are currently making content for ourselves 10 years ago. When we first embarked on the journey of being YouTube creators, there was not a community of people who could help us navigate this path. There was not anything we could look at around, that's what we aspire to be like. And that would have been really helpful. And so the reason why we're so passionate about educating creators is because uploading to YouTube and and pressing that publish button has changed our life. And we wanna help empower others to do that. And that's what we're doing today with our channel and with our content is, is we're trying to create a community and trying to educate, empower, and encourage the next generation of creators.
0: And so for for an hour, um, we're going to basically split uh, the questions in three. And then, you know, uh, starting first by, you know, you, the business, Colin and Samir. Then two, talking about like exactly what you just said, educating the next generation of creators. And then like, you know, uh, uh, around like in 45 minutes, then we'll get people on stage and um, and let them ask uh, you questions. I know there's a, a lot of those. Um, just to start, I mean, I, there's one video that, that you pushed, I think uh, a few months ago, I think, um, that I really loved, uh, and you talked essentially about the, um, the leverage and the change that happened when you define your audience a bit more specifically, and then you align this with a consistent format and plug this with relevant brand. And that kind of like, you know, shift happened in the end uh, of 2019. And recently you just tweeted that over the past 20 years, you saw like a 600% increase in subscribers and you're talking about how you prioritized your process for making videos. I thought that thread was fascinating, especially on the content of that that previous video. Can you unpack more a bit like this thread and what you meant by that?
1: Colin wrote the thread, so I'm gonna let him uh, take it from there. And then Hugo, I think you said 20 years and I just wanna Clarify to everyone: It hasn't taken us twenty years to gain ten thousand subscribers. Yeah. 20, 28 days. Oh yeah, right. that's <laughs> but, yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. I'll let Colin take the uh, the you know audience definition, and then yes.
2: Yeah, so, so basically, the gist of the thread was uh, based off of some of our backend analytics, which showed that over the past twenty-eight days, we've grown, I think, six hundred percent when it comes to subscribers. And, and there's no doubt in my mind when I look at like the last four or five years of us operating as Colin and Samir, the last month has been our healthiest by far. Um, And and I think that did start with us deciding that we are here to support creators on their path. And that's, that's the first and foremost, and just making sure that no matter what we do, it fits that guideline. But then on top of that, we realized that if we wanted to build a community we need to build trust with that community. And the best way to do that is to be consistent. We always talk about how like social media is a conversation, but if it takes you two, three weeks to take part in that conversation because your video making process takes that long, then you're gonna miss out on the conversation completely. And if you're not conversing, you're, you don't have a community. So really what we did uh, in the first couple months of this year was take a step back. We didn't put publish a single video in January, because we just realized that we have to get our process under control, so that first things first, we can actually be there for our community and be there for our audience when we say we will. Um, you know, just because we were making videos in 2019 and 2020 that were empowering creators, we weren't doing it on a consistent basis. We weren't doing it. Uh, In a way that was discoverable in a way that was building trust with our audience so we actually started a second channel which was a podcast video channel where we just started filming our podcast and we said you know what this is a manageable format for us let's do this uh, and release an episode on this second channel every monday no matter what and we tracked the data of that second channel and and the growth was incredible and then at one point, Samir and I just looked at each other and we were like, well, what are we doing? You know, our main community is over on our on our channel that we've been working on for four or five years. Let's take this strategy and shift it over there and just make sure, uh, you know, that we're that we're present, that we're there every Monday talking about the creator economy from a creator perspective uh, in a way that can educate creators. And that's what we started doing over the last month. And, you know, it led to a community. It led to growth. And that all comes down to trust we finally built trust with the audience on the other end and trust within YouTube. You know, YouTube wants you to be a good partner as well. They want to know that you will put out videos on a consistent basis that have a common theme. Uh, and so I think it was really exciting that, you know, we thought this strategy would work and then it turned out it did. So I just wanted to put a thread together and and make sure I shared that with our community.
1: And, and one more thing, uh, uh, Hugo is like the, 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 the creator's conundrum, I think, is that you're constantly creating content uh, with and for your community, and the storytelling is typically going out, right? It's external storytelling. You're telling different stories uh, on, a, on a regular basis. But one thing that I think happens in startups and, and happens with companies is you have to create some internal storytelling, where inside of your company, you start to understand, like, what is the story of our company? Who are we, and 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 how is this story going to be told? And uh, like having a serious obsession over the audience is really important. And so we have these four categories of audience that we think about every day that are written in every piece of of media that we put out um, in the marketplace, and it, and they're actually also written on our whiteboard in our in our office. And that's we like to look at our audience in these four segments, which are career creators, which means people who are um, you know, creating and distributing content online as their full-time job—that is, that is what they do. That is their career. Uh, the next category is aspiring creators. That's people who might, you know, be creating content right now but doing it as a as a side hustle or doing it um, within another company and aspiring to become independent. Then we have people in the creator industry. So that's that's business owners, founders, investors who are trying to interact with creators and and looking for a perspective that's that's more creator focused. And then the last category, which I think is the most category for any project, or most important category for any project you do, is non-believers. So that's people who currently don't have any reason to believe in the creator economy. And this was a category that we spent the first five years of our career trying to convince, but there was no assets online to help convince them. And so we believe that our content into to a supporter. And so when we look at those four categories of audience, that helps us a lot with our lens um, you know, when, when we come to the table with, with content and making sure that we're super focused and that our story is understood, uh, not only by our audience, but also by, by the industry.
0: This is really cool. Cause I, I one of the things that I, that I love, uh, the most about like this, this last category or like sort of like an adjacent category is that I, I feel like more and more people that actually, we're not directly involved with the creator economy or with the creators themselves, but we're like around the creators. Where there's people that are like editors or people that are, like just like girlfriend and boyfriend of creators, friends, family, right? Like, I see a lot of those people watching your videos actually because a creator has sent that to them because they're like spending so much time trying to explain who they are, what they're doing, what are these challenges. That of course, not only your videos are relevant for the creators themselves but also for everyone that is around so they don't have to actually like suffer through this. Like, have you, have you seen, like, have you heard creators actually sending your videos family or their, or their friends just to explain what they are doing themselves?
1: Definitely. Yeah, we, we hear that uh, all the time. And I think that's the thing is that, you know, from internally from our community, you know, again, to, to, to rewind all the way 10 years when we were making content about lacrosse, it was like, Here's this underserved community that wants more media attention, wants people to tell stories about what's going on, and then wants those stories to get out there and and help grow, um, the 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 base of of the community. And that's the same thing here with the creator economy. It's like, you know, when we when we talked to uh, Mr. Beast for one of our episodes and talked to him about his production process and and about the fact that you know in the beginning of 2020, in the first quarter of 2020, he had spent. million on his productions, you know, my brother doesn't interact with the creator economy very much. um, And that was a line that stuck out to him when when I sent him that video. He was like, I can't believe that a YouTube creator could spend that much money on production. Now, of course, that's that's like a very extraordinary um, circumstance, but it does open your eyes to how serious the creator economy is. And we want to have this platform and space for creators to talk about some of the stuff that they're doing behind the scenes and, um, you know, story tell to the non-believers and make, make them think like, Oh, wow, maybe I should pay more attention. And, and, and maybe I should look at the creator economy as like a very viable, uh, business. Uh, and then at the same time for, for the creators to be able to show a different side of themselves. So yeah, it's, I, I totally, we see it all the time. It's also, how we meet most of these creators, Mr. Beast, Marques Brownlee, um, Cody Co., like any of these creators typically come into our DMs. um, And they just shoot us a note and say that they're watching and and that they're fans of the show and um, that they enjoy the content or that they've used a piece of content. Um, And and that's really exciting for us. And that means that we're on the right track. We also get notes uh, about like, you know, I I got a note from um, a clothing brand. Uh, called Chinatown Market, where the the CEO reached out and just said, Hey, in our marketing meeting, we watched one of your videos. Uh, and that that's very empowering for us. That that means that we're on the right track. That not only people in the creator, you know, direct creator economy, but people also surrounding it, you know, again, the people in the industry are also looking and saying, hey, these these guys kind of know what they're talking about. And and we should we should take some of these strategies or take some of these lessons and we could probably implement them into our business. Because at the end of the day, you know, everything that creators are doing at the root of it is storytelling, and everybody, every business is is a, is telling a story, um, and so there's a lot to learn from from the creator economy.
2: Uh, I would just add to that too. Even you know, outside of outreach from brands and creators, we get messages all the time, and we got one specifically last week from a, a high school class watching one of our videos, and I think that's that's actually the most exciting to think about how uh, the the roadmaps that we are detailing and showing for creators the fact that like younger generations are getting access to this uh, and learning about it in schools that gets us really excited uh, making sure that like younger generations are starting to get an understanding of what the creator economy is how they can interact with it and some of the storytelling techniques that they can utilize right away
3: i love that i feel like storytelling is such a transferable skill they can apply to nearly any job or activity to kind of um, that's something that's like a skill that always carries forward. So yeah, I think that definitely makes a lot of sense. So my question, I guess as a follow up to that is that I think we saw that um, Twitter thread going around about so many um, young like kids out there basically aspiring to be YouTubers, which um, is really cool. And I think like you said, a part of that is storytelling. But there's also this other, um, I guess, theme going around where it seems very saturated and also seems like a lot of folks are kind of going into creating content to just merely create content. Um, and what would you, I guess, say to give advice to those who are aspiring creators but don't know where to start? Like they're just like want to be a content creator but they didn't have that passion in lacrosse that you have, or they're just trying to figure that out.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll start this one. But <clears throat> I think it's, uh, you're right, Jen, that it's like, it is a very challenging thing to look at now. When we first started uh, making content, the amazing thing is that when we were uploading to YouTube at that time, we would upload like three or four videos a day because we had these like 15 second clips that we thought were really cool. And there was no other place to upload them. And uh, that was in 2010, and and look at how much has changed since then. Um, so, you know, we understand that that it is a bit of a, uh, a challenge to look at. It's like the most aspirational career path, um, and and I think that's why we're positioning ourselves in the way we are. I do think that at a high level, there's there's two things to think about. One is like, as as we just interviewed um, uh, Nas Daily for for our podcast, and he talked about like this these platforms meeting meeting equilibrium where the supply uh, that they desire meets the demand, right? So like YouTube is kind of at equilibrium where there's like, there's a certain amount of demand for video content uh, and the supply has kind of been met. Now you still can carve out your niche if you're really good at it and and you know why you're doing it. Like Colin and I, I think are a great example. We are not uh, making content that, you know, every day we're thinking is going to get millions and millions of views. That's not the goal for us. We're trying to carve out our space and build a business around it. And we're actually in the process right now of, of building, you know, different products, bespoke businesses, and, and also an umbrella company that, that um, we're happy to, uh, you know, be chatting about today, which is the first time we're actually talking about it um, called Publish. And the reason why we're launching that company is because we, like I mentioned at the beginning of the, of the call, like our lives were changed by pressing publish. And we are very connected to that concept of, of you know, um, telling your own story, doing it online, and doing it in, in very unique ways, and don't believe that this career is a one-size-fits-all. We don't believe that there's there's only one way to grow. We believe there's actually infinite ways, and that you know you just have to be able to navigate it. And so what we want to do is exp- expand our offering of, of educating and empowering creators into true education um, tools and, and figure out how to do that in a way that, that fosters community um, and build a company that's, that's all about that.
0: Well,
3: is- You love a good is... exclusive.
0: <laughs> yes, <laughs> teasing. Like I'm, I'm teased right now. So like, I just wanna know uh, a bit more about like, what, what are your plans around that? And, you know, probably like the, the formats, the first uh, things that you're gonna launch around publish that would be sure. awesome to
3: know more.
1: Yeah so the, the you know for us what we feel like is for every creator who's making you know something and starting to build audience the next step for that creator is to understand what their value prop is and what an extension of that value prop is so for us last year we launched our first uh, online course and that's because we started to realize people were watching our content to get educated so what's an extension of the value prop of learning knowledge education it's a course uh, and then, as we start to grow now even more, even looking at how our brand is looking and feeling right now, you know, like Colin mentioned, we're building trust by uh, releasing uh, our, our show once a week and, and building community. But there's a lot more. There's a lot more stories to be told. There's a lot more lessons to be learned. And we feel like the the value prop extension of learning, of uh, education, of shared knowledge that also fits into those four categories of audience is a newsletter. And so our first product uh, is going to be a newsletter, and it's something that we're working on internally. We've made some hires, uh, and and are are actively uh, working, and we'll be rolling out a beta list for people who are interested in giving feedback. Uh, but we want to have a newsletter that's out in the market that's about the creator economy from the creator's perspective, and we think that's that's what's different about us. Um, and as we expand, you know, newsletter first. As we expand, we think that's a really good extension. We, could, we, we we're working on getting that out multiple times a week. So we have a show and then we will layer on top of it, um, you know, newsletter that's also informing and educating about the creator economy. And then the iteration after that is, uh, is actual continuation of educational courses, uh, helping creators understand how to create their value prop, how to define their audiences, how to navigate brand partnerships. Um, and, and yeah, that's, that's, we're thinking about the company is it's 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 an extension of the experience you get right now with our content that materialize in different products
0: super cool i have one question i don't know how how relevant that would be but so i'm always drawing the 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 parallel between startup and creator because you know for me a startup is an organization that scale and the creator is an individual that scale so obviously there's a lot of things that are going to be repeating itself even if a lot of things are going to be changing one of the things around like startup education um, that I saw was really important is to really uh, differentiate the type of education you give to people that want to create startup and that are optimizing for freedom or the people who are starting startup and are optimizing for glory, right? It's the difference between bootstrapping a SaaS business and then going like the VC route and raising billions to actually go faster. Do you think that in the creator education, there will also be a different way to educate creators that are optimizing for freedom or security versus the one that's gonna be optimizing for glory?
1: Yeah, I do think, I do think it's different. So a, a creator business inherently is a lifestyle business, right? Like it's a high margin advertising business. That's exactly what a creator business is. If you, if you figure out how to engage a large portion uh, or a, a large subset of audience, uh, through creating low-lift content, you've just created a very high margin advertising business. So the, the, that, is, that is the first format of a creator business. But that also starts to signal to you that there's an opportunity. And if you want, it's only if you want, then there's an opportunity to actually take that, that margin and that, that advertising business and self-finance IP and start to build extensions um, outside of yourself. Now, traditionally, this has happened through merchandise. Um, merchandise, clothing companies. I think we've seen that those have expanded, but the, like even merchandise has changed. Colin and I interviewed a creator last year named Amanda Rae Lee, who launched a um, set of planners and notebooks, and they're they're really cool. And and what you start to realize is like stuff like that, Chamberlain Coffee, uh, even with Beast and and Finger on the App. These are products that actually can span far beyond YouTube and. Actually might operate as a funnel to YouTube. Someone might have a cup of Chamberlain coffee one day, and someone else will tell them, like, "Did you know that's from a YouTuber named named Emma Chamberlain?" They'll be like, I, "I had no idea. I'll look it up." Um, and that's, I think, the opportunity. And so the creators who are interested in that that further you know path, which is I think is starting to happen now, a, I think need to be surrounded by really trusted um, advisors, leaders, and entrepreneurs. Uh, but also have to want to do that. You, you have to want that 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 lifestyle. Um, now, of course, it's it's a big opportunity because Colin always mentions that uh, uh, being a creator is like being an athlete, like you only have so many years uh, for a lot of creators. And so you do want to take the time that you are engaging an audience and um, build, you know, IP around that. So I don't know if that answers the question, but Colin, go ahead.
2: Yeah, I was going to add to
1: that. I think like
2: Once you start going into IP, and I can speak from our experience, like, you know, a lot of it too is a desire to have a little bit more stability. Like, it does have to do with lifestyle. You know, even though the creator business from an advertising perspective is a lifestyle business, advertising comes and goes. And we've seen that. And then that can drastically change your lifestyle. Uh, And I think once creators start moving into these sort of bespoke businesses, even though it is a big risk and it's like a big jump a lot of times, the end goal, the end thing that I think we're looking for is stability from a lifestyle perspective.
4: Um, I wanted to quickly jump, um, and as a fellow former YouTuber, uh, who started in 2010, so in the early days, I wasn't really a creator, but I did a lot of uh, growth hacking and was very much into, you know, figuring out the quantitative part and analytics. And that was in the days before what we have today. And I was curious um, to learn more about your stack and how are you handling this? And if you have any thoughts or ideas, what could be great if YouTube would add uh, under obviously the idea that they can't give you all the information, but what would certainly you think would help and and benefit uh, creators that are creating content and are storytelling about their interest uh, compared to what you have today?
1: So, sorry, is that, is that question around like, uh, analytics, like YouTube analytics? What,
4: uh, what type it's information what, yeah, yeah. I think what, what, you know, in, in, in that case, what you would like to YouTube to have, if you could have something in YouTube, a feature in YouTube, what would you like it to be? But oh, then also a little bit about your stack, you know, how you handle analytics, what's your overall stack? Is it something you also talk about uh, and help creators with, you know, the, not just the creative part, mm-hmm. but also how to actually understand it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's, that's interesting. I think, uh, if if we were to think about a YouTube, uh, I, I I don't know, Call, you have any thoughts around like what feature? I feel like we have conversations around this, but like what what additional feature we would want from YouTube?
3: I don't
2: know. I mean, honestly, when I think about analytics, all I think about are click through rate and average view duration,
1: and we and like we've spoken about that right. before. That's not those aren't new features, but um, so. Yeah, I think I think on that note, for sure, like an A/B testing model. Um,
3: uh-huh. Like
1: basically, I know this happens in in newsletters where you know you'll test two subject lines. They'll go out to a really small subset. Whichever one has the highest click through rate will then go out to the large um, the large newsletter list. So same kind of thing. I think that would be super helpful because thumbnails can be a bottleneck um, for creativity, and sometimes it's hard to 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 understand which one's gonna hit. So, essentially, if there was an opportunity to send out two thumbnails to you know, the first 1,000 people, gauge or maybe 10,000 people engage um, click through rate, and then whichever one has a higher click through rate is, is the one that YouTube uses. So, that would be super interesting. In terms of like broader stack, YouTube analytics is really interesting. Um, and, and we do base a lot of what we're doing on, on click through rate, average view duration, and um, you know, just generally like percentage viewed. So we think about it as like customer satisfaction, but I think when we dig in a little bit deeper, Colin and I are very attentive to comments, DMs, and um, interactions, because again, we think that our job is to create conversation. And sometimes that's that's intangible and hard to truly track. Um, what we do is we use Slack a lot in our in our company, and, and a lot of people are remote, and we Share comments. We share um, feedback. We share social proof. Private DMs. Uh, you know that creators send us about how some of our content has changed their business, uh, and, and honestly, that informs more of our decision making than you know some of the analytics. And again, it's because we we feel like when we hear from a creator, um, it's so powerful. Um, so you know, between Slack, Notion, some some other you know of our of our tech stack, it's like pretty. Pretty startupy, I would say. Um, but you know, on the analytics side, that's that's like what we use: click-through rate, average view duration, and like from a feature perspective, it's definitely an A/B test for thumbnails.
2: Uh, I would add to that. This isn't necessarily analytics, but one of my favorite things about Clubhouse and Twitter uh, are is when you know, like when someone comes into your room on Clubhouse, if they have a lot of followers, like it, it adds to your room. Their followers get notified. Uh, On Twitter, if someone with a lot of followers engages with your post, it surfaces in their feed. Um, You know, on YouTube, the majority of our audience are creators, uh, some of them that have very large followings. But if they comment on our video on YouTube, it doesn't necessarily help our video perform any better. Whereas on Twitter, if Mr. Beast chimes in on one of our threads, all of a sudden our engagement goes through the roof and we gain a ton of followers. And I feel like from a community perspective, I would love to see Creators being able to benefit from engagement from other creators.
4: Really Talking good point. Where, where is Rudolph? Yeah.
3: Go ahead. I love that. Yeah, that's that's I actually. It. Um, it's one of those things where it's like until until you said it, I didn't realize how. Um, awesome that would be and then also to samir your point on like kind of thinking through both qualitative and quantitative data i think that's actually a really good point especially if you think about it it's almost like especially if you're helping other creators who are also in themselves building their own business it's almost like you think about it as a b2b company where you have to take in quantitative data but take in those customer meetings with other businesses in a B2B company is very similar to what you guys are doing when you take DMs, Slack messages, and meetings with other creators for feedback. So I love that. Um, So I wanted to kind of pivot um, to, I guess, recent news that happened this week, um, which was the announcement of Creative Juice. And I guess, importantly, Mr. Beast investing $2 million to, um, invest into new upcoming YouTube channels and offering mentorship and things like that. And hearing the both of you talk about, um, helping the next generation of creators, um, have you ever considered investing into creators yourself? Or what do you think about that whole trend about how, like basically creators investing into other creators?
1: I think, uh, so first of all, just to answer the question on the B2B side, like, and I think it's super relevant to what you just brought up with Juice. Um, we do see ourselves as a B2B company. Uh, we see Colin and the, the D2C brand within it, if that makes sense. And so that's why we're launching Publish to have a housing unit for, for all of our B2B offerings. Um, so I think you're spot on there, Jen. And then the, on the Juice side, like, so I think, I think one thing that's interesting is um, Jimmy, uh, something that I don't think people see a lot, but like Jimmy will spend his days calling creators and giving advice. Uh, and that happens to us a lot. Uh, I, I put it on speaker a lot of times when Jimmy calls me um, in our office and he'll just he'll just open up the conversation start talking about our thumbnails, start talking about what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, uh, what what he thinks the creator space should become. And I think because Jimmy is like a very D2C brand uh, with Mr. Beast, like he doesn't have a space to do that. But I think it's, it's it's a massive passion point for him. So I think when you look at Juice, it's like this opportunity for him to um, invest back into the space and, and actually provide, you know, mentorship guidance and, and obviously financing. When I think about investing in creators and when we think about, you know, even with Publish, how we're going to move into more of the capital space and, and, and investing um, as, as an empowerment tool, to me, it feels like I would be most comfortable and most excited in um almost like an incubator or product accelerator because i do think that when you find the right creator and you can help storytell um with them to build a product or let's say a group of creators and you can you can build them together and and pool them together to uh build a company that that supports them i think that's when it gets really interesting i mean if you look around and you start seeing every creator doing an ad read for one uh you know, product, you start to realize, okay, that product's probably converting pretty well. Couldn't we build our own? Couldn't we finance that and, um, you know, share an equity pool across different creators? Um, and I think we're starting to see that more. Now creators are getting on cap tables of different companies. And so when I think about investing in creators, like, I do think that there's this level of mentorship that's required and education that's required, and everyone's trying to solve that that puzzle. Um, I think, you know, for me, my comfort level would be in investing in the IP that creators create. I think the, uh, the channels are tools to build IP in, in my perspective and tools to build businesses. Whereas I think Jimmy is in a different situation where his channel has, is like an unbelievably viable business. Uh, I just find it hard right now to understand truly how to value um, a channel, which I think they're starting to figure out. Uh, especially because I think like if you took our, our Colin and Samir channel valuation right now based on our size, our AdSense and, and a couple other factors, it would, be, um, it would not be reflective of, of even our revenue. And so I think that I'm most excited around content as a tool to build business and, and channels as a tool to build, build business um, more than channels and content as the business. So I, I'm interested to see where they go with it. I I think if I'm gonna bet on anyone, I'm betting on Jimmy and, and Night Media, um, and I think it's an amazing tool for him to um, get in the door with creators and and actually get a piece of of you know their success and something that he's already passionate about doing and something that he's already doing um, in between productions.
0: Just on that, like if if I understand what you're saying, essentially is that. It's really difficult to invest in like the channel of a creator, whatever the you know the legal entity would be, but it's easier to then invest in the companies that would then sell products. So for example, you cannot invest yes. in Emma Chamberlain's uh, YouTube channel, but then when she actually starts YouTube uh, Emma Chamberlain's Coffee, then you take a share of that. So like either and then it yes. goes like a, like a financing round. But so one point is that like I remember like vividly your, your video uh, about like how you almost you know well quit YouTube and and then almost like went back and just get jobs because at some point you were just struggling financially to be able to full-time uh, dedicate uh, you know to your craft. And so what happened is, if I'm correct, is that uh, you, you, you crafted like a brand deal for a year. I don't know how much was that, but I, I can assume like you know like something around like 70 to 100K or, or maybe less or maybe more, but like something that could actually give you the runway for a year. I feel like a lot of YouTubers right now like that are at that stage, you know, like they've been crafting content, but they need some capital to actually put the production of the content to a higher level. They would actually need 150k and they cannot sell IP because they just have their YouTube channel. So is there a way at that super crucial moment to actually enable financially some creators, early stage creators, so they can actually like cross the chasm in a way?
1: yeah, I, I mean, I think it's possible. I think that's what juice is trying to do uh, and 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 aiming to do. I think for me, like when I look at um, if someone was to invest in us at that time rather than for us to get a brand partnership that that really helped uh, propel the company to where it is today, someone' to invest in us, It's just incredibly variable. I think creativity as a um, as somewhat of a commodity and an investable asset, like cre- creativity is one of the most variable assets in the world. It's not something that you can really extract unless you build a serious amount of process around it. Um, and I think that's where you start to see creators, like, like Colin mentioned, like when creators find a format, there's something that you start to see. They find a format, they, they build that format. And when they hit like a critical mass with that format, a lot of creators will launch a second channel. And a lot of that is because they put themselves into a box and they're like, okay, that's now a product, that's a commodity. Um, and I have to do that every time. And now, you know, I want to create this other space where I can be more free or creative, or they want to change their format. So I guess for me as a creator myself, if someone was to invest in us, I would feel an unbelievable amount of pressure to, to productize our content pretty quickly. And the freedom that I have and that Colin has right now to say this format works right now. And in a year, uh, it might be something different and it might be something different. If y- the only way you could do that is have another creator, invest in a creator. If you start to get venture capital involved or someone who's unfamiliar with what it's like to be a creator, um, the variability of it all, of, of changing the style of content of, uh, feeling burnt out at times is, is just too much in my opinion. So there, you know, maybe I would wonder what Jen thinks about this and call, I know you just unmuted. So I'll let you take it from here. But that's, that's my opinion is that the businesses are more stable. um, And I would say that there's probably some level of an accelerator and like a grant to help creators um, get up and running. But yeah, I I, I'd be more comfortable investing in in the IP that creators can make.
2: Yeah, no, Samir, I was just going to add, like, I think, the most important part of our process has been failure and the ability to fail on our own terms. And, uh, you know, I think some of the, when we speak to creators like Graham Steffen, who didn't go full time on YouTube until he was making a million dollars a year off YouTube, that was when he actually shifted from real estate. Now, obviously, that's uh, an extreme case and not everyone's going to go down that path. But there's something about finding your, creator market fit within the extreme confines of having to pay your bills in another way. You know what I mean, Samir? Like making sure that uh, because of how difficult content creation can be, making sure that you figure out a way to do it uh, in a way that's manageable for you before you make the jump.
1: I think it's scary for me to think about um, having like a pre-revenue content company because we've had that many a time. And when you're bootstrapped in that as a creator, you have to find your creator market fit fast. Uh, now, when I say fast, it's taken us years to do it. Of course, if we were strictly 100% focused on doing it, we'd probably find a way in a more accelerated fashion. Um, but, you know, invest, it's like investing. Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I'll stop there and, and let you guys- No, no, this is great. I'm, I'm curious what, yeah, you guys think about it. What, what Jen, even, even on the- uh, you know, VC side, like how how you feel about it. But that's just my opinion is that it's better to invest in the IP and and the businesses that can be created from creators than to invest in in the creators right now.
3: Yeah, I think all very, very interesting and super valid points. I think a couple of things that I uh, was thinking about when I saw the news Is so one. I think in the information article that came out where Jimmy gave an interview um, to Sam Lesson on kind of like the inspiration behind it, is he talked about it as like a capital infusion to be able to like really grow a channel. So I do think that that is a very valid problem for for someone to solve because creating like creating one YouTube video and creating content in general there's a lot of um, like upfront costs you have to kind of put in and you don't need like that most high tech thing or whatever, but there is a sense of like um, in like having enough capital to invest. And then that uh, amount that you need to invest per video, as you increase the quality, um, the cost of that going up. And I do think that there's something interesting that he said where um, unlike a Business where you can go to the bank and get a loan against um, basically a contract that you got, for example, from someone. Um, It's harder to do that um, as a content creator. So I do think that that is definitely an interesting problem to be solved. But I think Samir, what you're saying is definitely right. Where I do think investing into the businesses, especially if the since the businesses aren't solely tied to that one entity or that one person I feel like you in any type of investment in any type of like investing your time or your money you want to make sure you're diversifying your portfolio and it like especially in light of recent controversies if you do put all your eggs in one basket and kind of put the one person or the one entity in like on a pedestal there are risk factors to that so um, I'm curious to see how that is going to play out in light of the investment landscape. But yeah, I do think a lot of the, like, I'm super bullish on a lot of the companies that creators are starting or like careers that they're building um, by leveraging their like channel and their audience that they built from the ground up into something that is more sustainable and more Here, diversified.
1: Here's my fear, Jen, on the, on the um, investing into creators at an early stage. I think if they've identified a format that requires cash and that is clearly working and has millions and millions of eyeballs on it and they need cash to do it, um, it makes sense. But as like a true startup creator, I I think Colin remembers this story. When we first started the lacrosse network, I had built a financial model around how much each video would cost. And I went to meet with the team at YouTube um, because I got access to to getting into the, the building and meeting with the team there. And Sat and I was like, they asked me, they said, how much will it cost you to make each video? Now this is in 2010. And I said, I think it'll cost around $4,000. And they said, well, then you'll go out of business pretty quickly. And they said, "Uh, it has to cost $0. That's the business of YouTube. And I, I took that to heart. And if you look at some of our first videos Colin and I ever made, they were shot with a laptop webcam and we sat and just talked to the community. If you look back at Jimmy's first videos, what's he doing, right? He's sitting in front of his webcam and he's counting to a million. And I think at times an infusion of too much capital can create a situation where your margin gets messed up down the line and the business is kind of confusing and the content potentially becomes unsustainable. Um, When you look at creators like Cody Ko, uh, who's doing like a reaction style format or, or sitting in front of their camera and like sitting on the couch and able to access millions of people, or even Emma, um, who's in her car and, and filming with her own camera. Like had she started with a production crew or with the cost being high, the margin down the line gets kind of confusing. Um, and then the value of that creator of being this like intimate relationship, I think is different. And so I think that it has, it's all creator specific. If the way Jimmy's building right now is like almost like a television style game show, he requires a lot of investment for his format And that format has met product market fit. So I think that it's very creator specific. It's not a one size fits all business. There's some creators that can command a frame, sit in front of their, their camera and engage millions of people. And I don't think that uh, infusing them with capital will create a sustainable model down the line. Um, It has to be the right format.
3: Yeah, I totally agree. I do think like actually a lot of things that you mentioned very much remind me of like a lot of criticism in the VC startup world when a startup raises a ton of money, um, like pre-product, pre-everything. So I do think that the same corollaries lie. And I think the key thing that you're like, that I'm hearing what you're saying is kind of it has to be at... The right time, like it has to be, actually at that growth stage where like a capital infusion would make sense.
2: Yeah, I think when I look at the space right now, I feel like I would take mentorship over capital any day. And I think a lot of these creators are in a similar type of space. Like if you look at Taylor Loren's most recent article about All Gas No Breaks and how they signed a contract where they lost all of the IP and all of their social channels. Like that's a channel that took off. Absolutely took off. And without the right guidance, without the right mentorship, kind of lost everything. And I think that's a lot of our effort is to make sure that, you know, these creators who are looking to make it a career or already have a career on their hands, have the guidance and the mentorship they need, uh, first and foremost, and then if capital is right, uh, you make that decision after.
0: i love it it's like you're you're essentially building a family for for ambitious creators um and it's the colin and Samir family i i would love to continue this conversation forever especially on this topic this is the most fascinating one i mean that's the one that is obsessing me these days um i would love to take some questions from the audience what do you think jen you, you wanna you wanted to do like um like a quick um sort of like rapid fire set question Uh, Right now, and if so, so if you want to ask a question, I have five people right now, so I'm gonna get the first ones in, but then please raise your hand if you want to ask a quick question. Sergey, can you hear Sergey? Welcome, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your
1: hey, guys? Uh, big fan, Kong Samir, really excited to uh, hear you speak. Um so uh, I'm from Stream Elements. We're kind of building products right now for YouTubers, uh, very experimental, very out there. And um I wanted to ask you guys, you mentioned um uh, how you care about uh, DMs and conversations and you know, you use um different tools. What I mean, I, I just wanted to talk about that, the connection with the audience, the engagement with your fans. There's lots of talk about super fans, you know, hundred true fans, and a thousand true fans. How do you view that? Um, so first of all, thanks for the question. Thanks for, thanks for watching, appreciate it. Um, so in terms of engagement with the audience, like, you know, it's not easy. We, we do get a lot of emails. Uh, we get a lot of DMs. We uh, try and re- respond to a lot of them. Sometimes we read them, screenshot them, send them around to each other, and then, you know, kind of miss our miss our wave to, to respond or forget to respond. And so if, if you are someone who has, uh, dm'd us and, and we haven't responded um we, we will get to it at some point <laughs> we just i think need to schedule more time uh to do that but we are reading a lot of them uh when it comes to that concept of a of thousand true fans i think one thing that's really interesting is when we sold our course last year we sold it for hundred dollars and 700 people bought the course um, so it, it, you could do the math and think about the concept of if we got 700 views on a youtube video is there any world where a brand would pay us that amount of money? Absolutely not. Um, and so you start to realize the value of, of an engaged audience and start to realize that the fans who, who, if we're listening to them, if we're actually listening to what products they want, uh, if we're actually in the comments and, and reading uh, what, what the reaction is to what we're making, we can create products that they will support. And our fans and the people who are in our community will value us at a much higher rate at a very significant um, rate compared to any brand. And that's what's important. I think, you know, uh, Jen, who's, who obviously we, we interviewed um, for our video about NFTs, I think auction-based pricing is a great example of people who uh, are able to tap into their true value from their fans. So I think a thousand true fans also leads you to your true value in the market, which is defined by the value you're creating for your audience. So I think um, that's the, that's what's interesting about you know more niche creators. That's what's interesting about uh, the 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 community we're building and and what we're excited about is that we can actually gauge what value we're providing to them, build products around that, and then you know our audience will value that higher than anyone else. Um, and so that's that's the exciting part.
0: Fernando, you want to. Photo on.
1: Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for bringing me up on stage. Big fan, uh, Colin and Samir and, uh, you know, Hugo, Yuri, and Jen all know that I'm a big fan of theirs. Shout out from the MOC discord, uh, by the way. Uh, my question is for creators. You know, I'm, I'm building uh, a startup in the creator space. And I'm just curious uh, for from Colin and Samir's perspective, how do you guys value um, sort of the ability to do and to build uh, using tools that allow you to do it in a white label fashion, right? So, we've been talking a lot about super fans and the connection to those fans. So, I'm get, I guess I'm, I'm curious about how you guys see the importance to uh, creator tools allowing for a white label experience so that the creator can essentially express their creative vision and freedom. Uh, do you guys see that as important when building tools in the, in the creator economy? My short answer is yes. Um, Colin works a lot on our, is kind of like, the the master of of all of our branding and how we show up and um, you know a lot of times our decision making for what tool to use is based on if we can white label it or not so we we care about it I don't know if a, a ton of creators um, care about it but I definitely think it as an option like for example um, Patreon does have kind of a, a version of that which is Memberful uh, it's 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 cool it's it's the version that we would probably use if we were to move into membership club. But, you know, because creators are building environments that their audiences are familiar with and comfortable with, I think it is important to be able to have a level of personalization, not only to the creator, but to the community that's interacting with it. So in my opinion, I think white labeling is super important. Um, So yeah, that's, that's, that's where I'll go with that.
0: Karim, you're next. Hi everyone, thanks for for having me on stage, and uh, awesome to hear from uh, Samir and Colin, I'm a huge fan. I watch every um, video re- religiously when it's posted on YouTube. Um, I had a question um, more around um, so the potential of of, of cre- creators, as you've spoken about it, to professionalize and productize a lot of their pro- processes and what they deliver to their audiences. And I was wondering, from your experience, what's like the um, in this professionalization process, what's the one or two things uh, an aspiring creator can do in order to like really get um, get ahead and really uh, um, get a lot of leverage in this direction of uh, productizing the content and also of of professionalizing the the whole
1: uh, structure. Thanks. I'm going to say, uh, well, first of all, thank you. Uh, thanks for the question. Th- thanks for watching. Um, I'm going to say packaging. I think packaging is the number one X factor. So uh, like I mentioned, like storytelling internally uh, and being able to storytell in the market is really important. So that typically materializes itself in like a pitch deck. And I think if you think about yourself as, as a business, like you need a really good pitch deck. And then even beyond that, you need to package your formats too. So creativity is very intangible. Like how how you sell creativity is is somewhat challenging you're selling you're in the business of ideas so you have to make them feel as tangible as possible and the way you make your business feel tangible is through uh, a pitch deck or or maybe a uh, a reel or a trailer or, or something that explains what you're doing to the market and then additionally for your ip like building names and formats around it is really important i think the try guys are a great example of this the try guys are um you know a group that has has packaged themselves super well, uh, and each of their formats gets packaged and incubated and has a brand name um, and then is able to be spun out into you know they just they just inked a food network deal. And so when you're a creator, like Colin mentioned on the All gas no Break situation, like learning about intellectual property, how do you package it from a legal perspective? Like how do you make sure you own it? And then on the other side, how do you package it into the market? Like creatively, how do you build packaging around it? Um, Another thing is, I I just saw that Devin uh, joined. Hi, Devin. Devin from uh, NYU Girls Roasting Tech Guys, who we just uh, interviewed for our show, uh, which is a great clubhouse show. And if you go to their website, like if you look up NYU Girls Roasting Tech Guys, uh, their IP is packaged so well. They they have a a beautiful website. They're collecting emails. They um, are telling their story through press. Um, and when you, when you think about how they're packaging, like it is very tangible how I would interact with them. And I think every creator needs that. Hi. Hi, Devin. Oh, hey. I got invited up. Thank you. I'm flattered.
0: (laughs) Hey, Devin, do you want to comment on that? Sorry for, for putting you on the spot. I just thought it was a good excuse.
3: (laughs) No, thanks for shouting out our website. Yeah, I was, I think, um. That was one of, like, the best things we could have done for our show. We have this, like, interactive layer. For those of you guys listening that don't know, uh, I'm going to quickly plug it. But, yeah, we have a show called NYU Girls Wrestling Tech Guys where we help people find love. People can come up and buy. It's a bar simulation, so people can buy a drink for someone in the audience. Um, But, yeah, we have this website that um, has a chat room that's happening live during the show. And so people, like – vote on polls and um, nominate people and comment on some of the chaos happening and it's a really interesting layer on top of clubhouse where you don't have that chat functionality unless you go to another platform and so we have a way of owning our audience which is pretty pretty valuable in the early like getting it set up as fast as possible
2: i would add like on on top of branding playing to your strengths in terms of when you start to professionalize and communicate to brands like. Even look at, like, Devin is in here on Clubhouse talking about her show, which is on Clubhouse. Like, she's native to this platform. And you can see that. Uh, Samir and I, whenever we pitched ourselves, we found that we sold uh, the majority of our campaigns. When we really were able to sell them successfully, it was by putting videos together. Like, we would sell videos with videos because that's our storytelling strength. And I found that uh, for a lot of creators, playing to that strength, whether it's text or audio or video like you know don't necessarily like there's no one single playbook when it comes to professionalizing yourself and communicating with other brands uh, so i think it's just super important to play to your strengths uh to
0: make that jump hey jordan well, welcome on stage sorry devine i cut you if you wanted to jump on this sorry. oh no i was
3: just gonna say yeah it's cool to be up here thanks some of the other girls from the audience too Devin, we should bring you on um, to one of these Friday sessions. Yeah, for sure. That would be super fun. I would oh, love that. Awesome. We'll DM you on Twitter about it. Cool. Thank you. I can move myself to the audience.
5: <laughs> Jordan, do you want to take the next question? Yeah, for sure. Um, thanks for bringing up. Also, uh, Colin I've been watching you guys uh, since the beginning of your channel. Also, thank you guys for putting me in your video, uh, your podcast uh, with the brand deals. I sent one of them in, The Worst Brand Deals 1. Um, so I had a question basically like on building creator businesses and like the future and what I'm looking to do, like in a few years, once I get out of school is like, do you feel like a lot of creators, the accidental creators world who just kind of get big, don't understand how to build businesses, but know how to create. And there's going to be people who really like help them create and take the business side out of it. So creators don't have to worry and becomes more of like licensing IPs and building up businesses based on the content they make and have people direct them. So creators just have to create.
1: Uh, Hey, Jordan, thanks for submitting to that that video. That was fun. Um, And uh, yeah, the short answer is yes. I mean, I think it's, again, it's creator specific. The thing that I think gets uh, a little messy in, in the creator economy when people are building tools is when they view all creators as like tech startups. And they're like, this is a product stack that all creators will use. It's just not the case. Like every creator is different. So there's some creators that are really good um, creatively and you can build businesses if they, t- if you take everything off their plate except for content creation, you can build a massive business. And some creators are growth hackers and um, marketing you know, geniuses and, and want to be in the weeds across the board and are creating content to build audience, to build business. And with that creator, <clears throat> they're gonna be more involved and they might uh, uh, you know, want to operate as a chief strategy officer or, or, or CMO um of a business i do think the one thing that colin and i recognized and we we talked about this in our interview with marquez brownlee as a creator like you're very used to controlling everything like you build a team around you to support your ideas Um, and typically those people you know work for you and and you are the end-all be-all but what you do realize is that you know when you're building an audience and connecting with them at least for us like i think i had to drop a lot of ego around being like the the head of of our organization and Colin and I always being at the top. And one thing that we realized is that we should actually operate more in the middle of the organization. Like we're really good with strategy, with with brand direction and um, content creation, community building. Uh, but you know, some of the other stuff, there's other people who are who are way better than us. Um, and that was a realization that we had to make and recognize that we want to build our company more like, uh, you know, not necessarily only make hires that are below us, meaning like supporting our ideas, but also make hires above us, have hires that are able to build businesses around us, have hires that are able to say no um, to us and, and help focus us. And that that has changed everything um, in the audience right now is, is Josh Kaplan, who's working with us. He's uh, formerly of, of Morning Brew and um, he's been a, a massive support to the business, like to come in and, and be able to focus us and actually get products off the ground and, and help us build publish. Like this is, that's the X factor. And I think what, what, like the short answer is yes, like that will happen. It's very creator dependent, but I would urge all creators to start thinking about how do you operate more as like the, the center of your organization and build people up down laterally everywhere around you to support you building a business rather than you remaining, um, you know, at the top.
0: And just for the last question, you know, except if Jordan, you want to comment on that. I just saw you muted yourself.
5: Yeah, um, I don't know if I'm able to ask a follow up. Sex. They said something that like kind of stuck out there. Okay, um. Go ahead. So with that, do you think creators? So I know you guys talk about like. Uh, the middle class of creators a lot. Do you think a middle class creator with just a very core de- uh, dedicated audience that understands how to build businesses is more at an advantage than like a larger creator who doesn't understand that world? Do you think the middle class creator that is business savvy is like a person who's going to do really well in this world versus someone who's huge but doesn't understand what you're talking about?
1: I think you have to define doing really well and success there, you know? So it's 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 very uh, creator dependent. But I would say that like, uh, to, to answer the question in maybe a different way is that I would not feel if I looked at a creator, you know, who's considered in, in, in the quote unquote middle class of creators uh, at a disadvantage for building a business compared to someone with millions and millions of, of uh, subscribers. Like, I don't, I don't think that is the determination of how big of a business you can build. Um, so I do think it, it comes down to storytelling, how engaged your audience is and then the, the, the people that you put around you.
0: Thank you guys so much. And Matt, hey, welcome on stage for the last questions. Um, Yeah, what is it? Hey,
1: everybody. Thanks for having me up. Um, Great conversation. You know, I think there's been some amazing talk around, you know, investing in creators. Uh, I think the question I had today would be probably more for Jen. Maybe Colin Samir, you can answer it too. But, you know, how would you actually evaluate, you know, the creator's worth, right? If we're talking about investing in creators, you have to kind of determine evaluation. And I think that's the one thing that worries me in the industry would be, you know, the creators aren't really good business people, a lot of them aren't. And so you're gonna need some pretty, you know, informative people around you to make sure they're not getting taken advantage of.
3: Um, That's a great question. It's also a question that I have (laughs) myself. Um, I have no idea. Like, I think that's actually something um, Colin Samir talked about earlier in this chat, where um, something that Creative Juice is going to have to figure out what to do as you're thinking about investing into channels is like, what metrics are you looking at? Or are you really just investing similar to how, um, like, early stage like VCs will say oh like we mainly invest in the team like we know this team is going to succeed and pivot into the right direction um is it going to be something like that and more in that direction and less quantitative is it going to be more qualitative and more just like hey like let's just make many bets or should we make a few bets I think all of those questions are still um open questions in my mind I unfortunately don't have any answers for you I'm basically looking around, trying to figure it out. Um, So I'll definitely talk about it if I, if I have a good hypothesis that I actually believe in, but right now I think that's kind of the main unknown. I agree with you.
1: Yeah, personally, I think that's why I was mentioning that I believe that uh, the more investable asset is the bespoke business that's attached to the creator. Um, And the creator comes in as like a, a unique Value prop or, or just like an unfair advantage when it comes to customer acquisition um, and and brand. So I think that that's going to be an evolving process. I do think that there's ways to back into evaluation similar to like a media company or or a you know television format. But I, I think that the 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 in my opinion the place that I would be more comfortable with is the bespoke businesses because I think you could put a, a team together, an idea together, and start to back into some more data that makes sense, and then the. The thing that's going to trade at a disproportionate value is the creator's involvement and the ability to acquire customers and um, build brand.
0: So what I get from that is that we definitely have to do uh, a new episode about just that topic because we definitely need more than one hour uh, to actually um, you know, go deeper. Um, I want to be mindful of your time, Colin Samuel Sammy first and, and the audience as well. Um, it's been a, it's been an amazing pleasure. Um, I think that the, the content, uh, you know, density was, was incredible. Thanks for that. Thanks a lot. Thanks for the video. Thanks for the good vibes. I think a lot of people here are confused because they all feel like you guys are their friends, but you don't know most of the people in the audience. I think that's, what's the magic of the creators. They're scalable friends, but the unilateral friendship, um, you're always welcome to, you know, comment on anything. If you want to jump in this, uh, creator economy club has session, we host that every Friday. Um, and yeah, it's been a pleasure. The recording will be uh, available shortly next week and, uh, I wish everybody, and everyone an amazing, uh, an amazing, uh, uh, weekend because that's gonna be the weekend now. Thanks again. And, um, and see you soon. I hope.
1: Thanks for having us. If you guys Thank are interested you, guys. in, in checking out our new project, uh, publishprojects.com. We just tweeted it. Jen, thanks for the layup. Uh, oh, that, and, that's live uh, right now. It's live right now. You can put your <laughs> put your email in. Uh, we will be sending out you know the beta list for our newsletter and notifying people about what we're launching. Uh, and Hugo, thanks for for giving us the platform. Jen, again, thanks for the layup and thanks for everyone for listening, watching, subscribing. We'll see you guys on YouTube.
3: Amazing! Everyone, better put their emails in and and retweet Colin <laughs> Samir's published projects announcement. Thanks, everyone.
2: Awesome. Thanks. Thank you, guys.